Alright, welcome on to a post-game edition of the Twitter NBA show. Wednesday night, couple of game twos in the books, both blowouts, Spurs taking care of Houston, although Tony Parker did go down with a scary injury. We'll talk about the adjustments the Spurs made, who played better, how Houston tried to counter those adjustments, and, and then a, the impact of the Parker injury, which Pop said was not good, and there's an understanding that he could be out for a significant portion of time. And then Cleveland killing Toronto again, despite Toronto's adjustments, how those weren't good enough, how Cleveland just has way too much talent for them still it seems and then we also got to get into the free agent wing class which will be interesting to talk about this is part of an ongoing series in which we're first talking about all the free agents who are available and then we'll do off-season cap previews for all the teams so i'll start off with this thing we'll get into the nitty-gritty momentarily but what was more real game one houston's performance game two san antonio's performance it's certainly not an easy decision but i would say game two for San Antonio. There are some caveats I would put on that, like San Antonio's offensive rebounding was a little bit ridiculous in this. They had 15 offensive boards, but they didn't turn the ball over nearly as much, and the Spurs were pretty judicious. I think they were 12th in the league in turnover rate, which is is more in line, so it was more in line with that. Kawhi Leonard had a good game. He has had very few shaky games, and I thought their defense was a lot more cogent, and while Houston did a nice job countering it in the third quarter, I think that even at that point, the Spurs still looked good and they still looked capable. Let's run down what some of the adjustments were first and then maybe we can say how much of their better performance was adjustments and how much of it was just guys playing better and you know what's sustainable and what isn't. So one of the big things that they did was starting Pau Gasol and I was of the belief that offense wasn't as big of a problem for them as defense was and so starting Gasol was more of an offense focused move we thought but he actually had I mean this is the best defensive game I can remember Pau Gasol having you know since like you know the 2010 finals for the (laughs) Lakers I mean he was really outstanding and the strategy was they're going to put Kawhi Leonard on James Harden and then they're going to force Harden to go over the screen Kawhi was just going to go over and Pau is just going to wait under the basket and they're with Pau just standing there he still has that 7-5 wingspan he knows the angles he knows how to contest without fouling pretty well his big limitation is getting out in space so they really were able to take away the pick and roll pretty well and force Harden to go in and finish over Kawhi's life. Harden was asked, you know, what uh, impact Kawhi's defense had on him. And he said, no, you know, I mostly just missed layups. And that's true, but that's because he was trying to finish over a seven footer who was in position. You know, it, it wasn't, they didn't get Powell to defend out on the floor and that took advantage of Powell's strengths. And then offensively, Powell, I think, you know, his, he was out, he shot very poorly, which I mean, if he had shot better, it could have been an even better move. But what he did on the offensive glass was outstanding. The whole Spurs team was great on the offensive glass. Yeah, I think it was 15 for the team, something like 6 for Powell, for Powell himself, yeah, was yeah. six exactly. And 40% offensive rebounds for San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really impressive. And those elements of, of San Antonio's game, I mean, the thing that was most striking to me, and we actually looked it up for the Twitter NBA show halftime show, was that Houston took 10 shots in the paint non-restricted area in just the first half. It ended up being 15 for the full game. Yeah, and all floaters, too. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it wasn't even like, okay, they're finding this guy rolling into the lane. It was like, you know, off the dribble floaters, and yeah, that's roll- all because 
Powell was there. Yeah, or even like those Derek Favors mid-range shots yeah. in Game 7 of the, of the Clippers-Jazz yeah. series. Or Aldridge, who, who played that role to some degree as well. Sure. So that is a that is a concern. And while you know maybe those guys are going to make, I think it was 3 or 4 out of 10, maybe sometimes they'll make more of that. That's a reasonable percentage from there. I mean, Beverly yeah. and, and Harden Houston and all that. those shots. Yeah, they're not Mori Ball. Mori Ball is getting to the restricted area, getting to the free throw line and shooting threes. And another kind of storyline of this game was that, you know, Houston had killed it, not only in transition, but on threes in game one. Some of that coming in transition, those were cleaner looks. This was more of falling back to earth. They were 11 of 34, so a little bit below one third on threes. And the maybe they actually should sh- they could shoot a few more of them, though the game got out of hand. That changed it a little bit. But in terms of a percentage, I don't think that's too far off. And we saw Ariza and Ryan Anderson both have really nice, they were both three of six in game one. They were a combined four of nine in game two, but Ariza was zero for four and not nearly as dangerous offensively or defensively as he was in game one. So the the Gasol adjustment, Leonard on Harden was another one. And then they went to not that much, but enough, something that we had been clamoring for. Well, one subtle thing too that we actually suggested was have Kawhi start the second and fourth quarter uh, so that you can slow down those Rockets bench units that really killed it. And Kawhi wasn't out there to start the fourth. He was out there to start the second. And that dovetailed with the other one we saw, which was Kawhi finally at the four and it was shooting around him. Gasol was the center and that was completely unstoppable. The Spurs were the best team in terms of offensive rating in the first series after the first round. That was the best they've looked offensively this entire playoffs. Yeah, it's true. And just Kawhi, they had no answers for him in pick and roll. Every once in a while, they've made him shoot a long two, but he uh, happens to be awesome with those when he's open. And then he was diming up guys in the corner for threes. He was finding uh, Gasol and pick and pop. It was really, it just looked so incredibly smooth. And for the whole first half, they were unstoppable. 65 points on 45 possessions, so 144 offensive rating in the first half. Well, and it's also worth noting who the point guard was in that stretch. The point guard in that stretch was Patty Mills. And Mills looked very comfortable in it. We've talked many times about how he's not a traditional point guard, or I harp on the term primary ball handler. You know, he's not the greatest at that. But in that sort of a system, he can work really well because he's a nice catch-and-shoot guy. He can take advantage when a seam is, has already been created for him. And both of those things were there. And all, obviously, Kawhi was just absolutely incredible during that stretch. And overall, I don't think we've set his actual line. We should go through it just so it's there for posterity. 34 points, 13 of 16 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3. Unsurprisingly, 5 of 5 from the line, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, 2 turnovers. 3 steals. 3 steals. Uh, and, 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 and very good defense, particularly in the first. Time. Team best plus 24 in 38 minutes, and, and the final four minutes of the game was garbage time. Uh, we also saw more of Jonathan Simmons in this game. He did play those last four minutes, but he was 14 points, five of nine, hit a three, he had one nasty dunk where he just blew through Pat Beverly's foul and, and just dunked it. That was fantastic. His energy defensively was good. He didn't commit too many fouls, and the Spurs finally got it going defensively. They gave up 55 points in the first half, and so it was really more their offense that really helped just because they kept the Rockets out of transition which was big but then they also kept him off the foul line I mean Harden had six free throw attempts one was just an absolutely insane call that I just like lost it on the Twitter NBA show you're smiling right now because it uh, it was just so ridiculous where Patty Mills had both of his arms back basically like behind his own head and still got called for a foul 35 feet from the basket and then did that for the rest of the game yeah well and and uh, all of them were just playing defense Danny Green did it too uh, um, 
but and John Simmons as well but so there was that one and then there was another kind of weak three shot foul on Parker those are the only two fouls that James Harden drew that were shooting fouls in the whole game and he went a nightmare game 13 points three of 17 two of nine from three just was not able to get downhill when he did there was someone waiting for him at the rim he did have 10 assists uh but four turnovers and four fouls as well uh not a good game at all from James Harden and a lot of that was because they had Kawhi on him he wasn't really able to get comfortable shooting threes or any getting anything in the mid-range even if the the big was hanging back and then they got him going a little bit in the second half with D'Antoni had I thought some really nice adjustments that just didn't really work out they were pretty much every possession right at the start they were having Beverly or whoever the one man was screen to get a pick and roll and then they were having the screen get set by somebody else and that forced Gasol to get out on the floor and they got a couple of nice looks out of that but overall San Antonio really turned up the defense and you mentioned the 34 three-point attempts that's much better defense for San Antonio they gave up 50 in game one uh and the 11 of 15 from the foul line was truly what was so awesome I mean uh and it wasn't guys like Lou Williams didn't shoot a free throw Eric Gordon didn't shoot a free throw Harden we mentioned him otherwise it was just you know uh Nene was two for four like these guys who draw all these fouls especially all these BS fouls the Spurs got back to what they're so good at which is not falling yeah and and that really helped sustain it and something that has to be a little bit concerning for the Rockets is that this was not like game one was for the Spurs a true worst case scenario I thought Ryan Anderson had some really nice moments you know Harden obviously struggled yeah but... Anderson 18 points four or five on three seven of nine uh, although Anderson and Capella and Nene got their butts kicked on the defensive glass. that's that's completely true yeah. yeah and and also Eric Gordon really struggled in the first half of game one I think it was like one of six from the field or something like that he had 15 points six of 12 from the field I thought offensively he looked pretty good defensively he didn't always have his moments but this was not you know everything goes wrong for the Rockets and they and they lose you know a lot went wrong but there's also plenty of things that that the spur that can be improved on and I, I don't know under that we want to go too far into the Tony Parker rabbit hole without having a specific diagnosis I, I think we should I mean it seems very clear I mean Manu said after the game we're expecting to not have him for a long time Pop said it's not good I think mm. you know I don't want to get into like the super long-term implications but the way he came down it was very kind of innocuous looking which uh you know it, it was somewhat similar maybe to like you know that Derek Rose play you know and and I don't know whether it's an ACL or what it, it, I, it was really hard to see and get the the angle to see like what way his knee moved but it definitely was very odd he had to be carried off uh was still in pain after the game according to his teammate and so I think we can proceed on the assumption that at least for the rest of this series uh he will be out and if this is what amounts to you know a long layoff for him he did go out in grand style 18 points 8 of 13 from the field and four assists two of two on threes um but now you know it's going to be mills likely starting uh the fact that pop has shown some trust in simmons is good you know maybe kyle anderson will, will get a little bit more time but you know he really is a four offensively you know he can't he can dribble a little bit but he can't shoot enough to really spread the floor so that'll take away a little bit there he, he's a defensive liability um and or and, it'll be Dejounte murray right? and it'll be a, a fascinating question to see mills has not I, i'm trying to remember the last time he really played starters minutes for an extended period or at least a high leverage period well he's used to it because uh, yeah high leverage because parker rests plenty you know yeah he'll, and he'll just start yeah so, so yeah but it really like because ideally if you could play him like 34 or so i think that would be great for them if possible and they do need to figure out the right balance for when you when you when they play mills and when they play Kawhi. you might want a little 
little bit of a stagger, but also they benefit from having Danny Green, who I still think is better guarding on ball than off ball. And so yeah, you can, but, you but can Kawhi make is way work. better than him at Harden. I think we can. Oh, oh, for, oh, for sure. No, I'm talking about more like in those minutes when Harden is out. Maybe right. sometimes you go with with a backcourt of Green and Manu together, and so you think yeah. you know, you cobble enough. There are a couple of different solutions there. Teams that have players that just can handle the ball a little bit, so that's not Danny Green out who can defend other positions. This is exactly why they're so valuable because then you don't need that third string point guard. And, you know, I talk about this a lot when we're discussing injuries, but in many cases, it is not necessarily the starting lineup that is so grievously affected. It is everything else. It's the yeah, I think their starting lineup's going to be better, to, I agree to be with honest, you. not to shovel dirt on on Tony Parker here, but uh, I mean, well, with the, the additional spacing of Mills will be Well, better. and what, what Patrick Beverly's been doing, I mean, obviously Parker had a, had a very good game overall, but Mills challenges Beverly in a very different way. And I think that could work out well for them. But yeah, they're going to they're gonna have, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a game where they're going to either have a rookie or they're going to go with something that's more of a, a square peg in a round hole or something like that. Yeah, and people mention like Bryn Forbes. He is point guard size, but he's not a point guard. He's right. just a pure shooter and, the, and, and not really any right. good. He's one of the players that benefits from having taller guys who can handle the ball. Right. So Houston, I mean, I mentioned some of the adjustments that they tried to get Powell out in space. You know, I thought those were good. They worked for part of the third. I mean, they got back within four after trailing at halftime. And then what really broke it open, Pop went to a lineup with Manu Ginobili at the four against that Houston bench unit. Uh, and that was extremely effective. And one of the things they did well was they got a couple big offensive rebounds, yeah, which made Powell, no sense. Again, man, I mean, the, the, he was really outstanding. But a lot of those offensive rebounds, too, come from just getting penetration, missing yeah. shots inside. And then he was able to get. And Powell, a lot of those were just, you know, tips off of missed jumpers too just getting his long arms up there i mean it was one of the better three for 11 games that you're ever going to see from a big man so they'll probably continue to start him i don't know if Powell can repeat this especially because now that they know he's starting they're going to really find ways to get him out into more space but just and they did a good job of getting Kawhi off of james harden in the second half look for them to continue to do that but i mean this performance from leonard to do what he did defensively as one of the main guys on Harden, not not the not exclusively but you know he probably guarded him for half the game when you consider the number of times they screened him off and the number of times that Kawhi wasn't in the game which is still a lot and then to have this kind of an offensive game and that's the biggest thing that I think is going to sustain like I mean he won't shoot 13 out of 16 but they have no answer for Kawhi Leonard at all Ariza's game one always looked like it was going to be the high watermark yeah and something fell off offensively too 0 for 4 on threes and uh also Beverly did not shoot it as well he he took eight two-point shots and none of them were layups I don't think either so it was a lot of floaters from Beverly trying to run pick and roll a lot of floaters from Eric Gordon and so that strategy really yeah. worked extremely well. well and something else that I think is is so central to what the Spurs did in this game that can be repeated even if Tony Parker can't play is Pau Gasol and David Lee combined for 40 minutes that's a lot better than them combining for you know, like 50 or 55 meaning that they're playing together and yeah San Antonio just has other options they're one of the few teams blessed with wing depth even if it's not as much depth as they've had at some other points in their past but getting that from Simmons they're so much more versatile defensively they were they just looked faster on the floor because they actually were faster yeah and I thought well Manu didn't score efficiently again he's been awful from the field in these playoffs just his ability to drive and kick and kind of keep things rolling I mean this was the closest that we've seen I think to the way that they looked in 2014 you, you know and again it was against a pretty porous defensive effort here by 
Houston. But just moving the ball around, getting open shots, getting penetration, uh, opening up the offensive glass. Like, there was a, a lot of things that made the Spurs look more like the Spurs of old in this game. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, another, you know, mediocre game, 15 points, 6 of 14 from the field. Uh, and I thought that the one time that the Spurs didn't really look that good was when they were trying to post up him because the way that they were defending him was they're bringing over these double teams but it was never really a hard double team it was just getting guys into the lane and so Aldridge would see that and be like well I can't really back in I gotta just go to a fadeaway because there's no room here and that's you know that's not an efficient shot really even if he has the mismatch uh you know a, a tough fadeaway is not really that great early in the clock I want them to I want him to back in hard against the mismatch activate the double team and then you can make the pass out when they really commit well yeah and it's just like Houston like Cleveland and almost every other team if you make them work for 20 seconds or 18 seconds you're going to get a much better result than that most of the time maybe not every time but enough of it to justify using that approach when necessary and you'll find a seam you'll harden will miss something somebody will and you'll you'll get a better look than that so you know that during the nba playoffs i basically have no time at all we're doing this twitter nba show that's like four or five hours a night then we got to record dunked on really the only time i have is when i'm driving places i'm going to the gym if i'm at the gym if I'm driving to Oracle Arena and I really miss reading fiction I love sci-fi as a, a way to get away that's where Audible comes in. I have actually been an Audible subscriber since 2005, back when you had to get it on an iPad. Now it's much easier, of course. You can just download the book to your phone, and their integration with Amazon and Amazon Kindle is fantastic. I really like that a lot. Their WhisperSync technology, where if you buy a book on your Kindle, you can add the Audible narration, and it will allow you to switch back and forth seamlessly between your Kindle. So sometimes just to get to bet i'll read for like 15 minutes and then i can pick up right where i left off the next day as i go and drive somewhere a little notification comes up on the audible app that says hey this is the last spot that you are at do you want to pick up at this point hit okay and now you're starting the book right where you left off as you're reading it and in fact even though i'm so busy my girlfriend and i are reading the same book right now it's the uh, commonwealth series by peter f hamilton it's a pretty interesting book first book is called uh, pandora's star great sci-fi series and i'm actually ahead of her because i have and use the audible copy in addition to reading it on my kindle so whether you're doing chores which are completely endless i'll listen to books when i'm doing laundry or while i'm doing the dishes it's really a great way to entertain yourself especially because obviously you're listening to this podcast so you love spoken word entertainment but sometimes podcasts can be a little bit too dry and you really want to get away and i do that with audible and uh the sci-fi books that i love so turn your workout travel your commute your chores into something more with a free trial at audible go to audible.com slash cap space that's a, a url easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time in the program and a great way to let them know that you came from us audible.com slash cap space to start now all right let's move on now to the early game today raptors and cleveland Whew. cleveland was uh shall we say uh just as dominant in game one the raptors uh pretty ineffectual uh even though i thought they played better defensively early but it just cleveland was making every shot they made their first eight three-pointers yeah there there was a little bit of process that was important in this game i thought that starting abaca and patterson together it created not only better looks for the raptors than game one early but it also i thought they did a better job on cleveland like a good example of that is two of those eight threes for cleveland at the beginning were lebron james 
on they were well contested and they weren't you know like they weren't catch and shoot it was just you know a tough shot and he yeah. made it and moreover you know it's not like Cleveland even was killing him with the rim necessarily I thought Ibaka was effective defending the rim early and then those eight shots that was through probably you know the first 20 minutes of the game they yeah. only got eight threes that's a good number they gave up over 43 point attempts yeah. in game one so I mean they made all of them but they actually were doing okay and then towards the end of the half they really started giving up a lot of threes and then in the third quarter they just completely collapsed and I thought that Jonas Valanciunas while he played as good as he possibly could play he had 23 points in 20 minutes he was negative 13 still for a reason I feel like that's kind of fool's gold it is and you also run into the challenge of bringing him off the bench tied him especially in that first half to Channing Fry. Fry was five of seven from three so you talk about how you know Valanciunas had a, a good offensive game 23 points well five threes from Channing Fry, especially when it's five of seven that's 15 points on even better efficiency and some of those were just Valanciunas getting lost I don't think he was on the floor for all of them but there isn't really a place for him he's a man without a country in this series and he is not so good that you have to find a place for him I, I understand why Dwayne Casey I mean he took him out of the starting lineup for a reason but I still think that their bigger issue here they've had some stretches where they've defended I think okay in the half court but their bigger issue here is number one not being able to score again this was a pretty bad performance we'll get to why DeRozan he was horrendous five points on 12 shooting possessions was just and three assists it was really really bad for him uh and Powell he struggled he had too many turnovers and also some lapses so they had a bunch of just lapses of like where they let him get in transition like they got like transition dunks off of like a dead ball <laughs> or just like not knowing who they had like Norman Powell like lost it out of bounds on a turnover pouted and then just didn't get back and LeBron got like another layup it, it was so they had a lot of really bad plays like that um and it's hard for them when they don't score as much as they should but i do think that early on they were playing good d and then a lot of times this will happen too where you're playing good d they're just hitting shots but then it'll turn into you know they kind of get a little dejected and they're they kind of lose especially when your shots aren't falling like you kind of get then then you get into that and i think they started getting a little down on themselves and then cleveland they got there was a one series Kyrie got one strip and then i think he passed it to LeBron the LeBron got a strip and PJ Tucker fouled him and it's like okay you know it just it just snowballed from there and and, and we haven't even mentioned LeBron James 39 points on only 14 shot attempts he took 21 free throws in this game and he earns his free throws like usually like by getting right to the rim and, and he just really was unstoppable he also had three steals and two blocks he really caused a lot of problems for them with his help defense uh and that made up the fact that Irving was only six out of 19 you mentioned Fry as their other big score. Yeah, and Irving did have 11 assists, which is which is good. You want to see that from him. A couple of them, I, I commented, and Cavs fans got mad at me on Twitter. Guess what? I'm right. That uh, Kyrie Irving is not consistent, not great at creating for others, but he can hit Channing Fry when Channing Fry is standing there wide open. And so, you know, Irving is wonderful at what he does. It's just a different thing, and it's perfect for Cleveland. Yeah, he's gotten better. Like, he looks Certainly. to drive and kick more Certainly you know, he's against better. switches. Like, I think that's a, yeah. it's been an improving part of his game for that he deserves credit for and I also thought though I mean we didn't think that Cleveland could defend Toronto this well uh but I mean Toronto just for whatever reason I shouldn't say whatever reason because I have some (laughs) theories on why but is just not as good in the postseason as in the regular season and stuff like you know not biting on DeMar DeRozan's pump fake like DeRozan didn't he took two free throws or no he was one of three from the foul line in this game if he can't get to the line he's going to be inefficient well it's also the idea of advanced scouting and preparation I mean so so Jared 
Zaire Smith has played against DeRozan for years, not only in the playoffs, but yeah. going back to AAU. He understands this, and, and you can prep for it. You can coaching. Cleveland had a pretty good idea of who they were going to be facing for days. They can be like, okay, this is what he does. This is where he's going to go. And both Kyrie and DeRozan took a majority of really tough shots. And Kyrie made 6-19, which is better. Better than DeRozan, 2-11. of 11. And the difference is that Kyrie making shots does not define Cleveland's offense necessarily. They do not have to rise or fall with him. Whereas Toronto, because of their personnel and everything else, it doesn't really go it doesn't really go that way. They need him to be a part of their success by and large. And for the first half of this game, I was kind of sitting there thinking because once once you feel like you know who's going to win a series, you start to look at it through different lenses. And for one for me it was okay. It's like, well, I predicted Cavs in 6. How does that looking? And for the first half, I'm like, okay, you know, they can bring up their effort. They can they they'll play better at home. Who knows what Cleveland's going to do if it's going to be like last year. But then you start to sit there and you go, how would you feel if you're just seeing that same movie over and over again. Last year, Dan Feldman had the stat. It was the most lopsided six-game series in NBA history. Like As much as we like to focus on the X's and O's, there is this personal aspect that will matter, especially if Kyle Lowry's weird injury ends up being something bigger. Yeah, it, it appeared to be an ankle injury. We didn't get a good look at it. I thought it was a knee early on. I think his ankle just kind of got caught under, but you didn't really get a good angle on how bad it was. And he was able to, re- it looked like he was clutching his knee, but then he was able to return definitely looked to be limited and if it were I don't think it's a big deal but if it were me I would have gotten him out of the game probably four or five minutes sooner because they weren't going to win and it was done and you know I, I thought that actually the Wizards you can never know for sure in these situations but the fact that they didn't allow Markeith Morris to return I think that that because once you sprain your ankle if you keep playing on it like it's just you're going to cause more damage you're going to cause it to swell up more the fact that they kept him out of there got some treatment on it immediately maybe that's what enabled him to play in game two so hopefully for Lowry I'm sure he'll play in game three but how and effective it's, and it's travel plus only one day off you know yeah. this is this isn't a long gap it's just you know it's every other day bang bang and bang. Lowry Lowry was good he had 20 points on 12 12 shots and and five assists his defense on Irving wasn't bad he held helped helped to hold him to six out of 19 Irving wasn't taking the greatest shots in the world uh so it, it was really the fact that they've gotten two pretty good games out of Lowry as good as you could have hoped uh and gotten nowhere because DeRozan hasn't been able to do anything uh you know Damari Carroll who was 0 for 6 PJ Tucker 0 for 3 uh those guys combined for uh 0 for 6 and three pointers and the wraps only five out of 17 on three pointers and actually I will say that although there's no way you can stay on the floor against Cleveland defensively I think that their offense does miss Terrence Ross in this series they don't really have like a really reliable three-point bomber they have a lot of guys who are like okay they can take threes they're decent shooters but like that's kind of not their main job Patterson Ibaka those kind of guys Lowry, DeRozan doesn't shoot threes. Powell is like, you know, those are all guys who can take them, but they're well, not or, or even somebody gunners. who requires vigilance. Like you think yeah. about the idea of some of these teams. JJ Redick is an example. That's like, yeah, JJ right. Redick didn't have a great series against the Jazz, but at least he forced the Clippers to defend four on four, or the Jazz to defend four on four. They don't have somebody like that where he's just like, oh, I can't let them, I can't stay off them. You know, I can't, I can't do anything like that. And I think that really congests everything else up. And again, going back to the idea between the regular season and the playoffs in the regular season teams pretty much just run their stuff you know they have their mentality they have their schemes they have that and they're they're going to try to execute it maybe in certain circumstances they'll adjust things a little bit in the playoffs it's all adjustments it's all feeling feeling things out and i think that 
it hurts the Raptors because it's easier to adjust to what they do than just about any other team in the NBA. They tried to do a few things, the Raptors, that I thought were good against those Cleveland hard hedges. A lot of times, Kevin Love or, or it would be Thompson. They would involve Lowry and set a double screen first, so then Irving would get involved against DeRozan, and then you know that would maybe allow them to disrupt the trap a little bit. They had a nice play early where they had Patrick Patterson set a screen all the way at the top, and then he flared all the way to the corner and made love run back to him that was a nice play and when they reversed the ball i thought that they were getting pretty good looks but it's just their shot makers aren't good enough to hang with this cleveland team even when they are getting good shots and only 17 three-point attempts i mean that's nowhere near enough well and that's something we've talked about with cleveland for a while is that why i at least i think i think both of us feel that nobody in the east can hang with cleveland is that stopping them is hard enough but keeping pace with them even if you're slowing them down is almost impossible i mean you need that truly special team on both ends of the floor to really make a difference so uh, here's a pro a question we'll take a few periscope questions on these two games here before we get into talking about the free agent wing class is it smarter for the raps to re-sign Lowry and trade DeRozan or to just let Lowry go or other assuming that they fall in a uh, sad fashion as appears likely in this series well I, th- I think the most important part of that is is ownership okay with what they are if ownership is cool with them being a three or four seed you know winning a bunch of games and then losing in the playoffs and they're and they're willing to pay the luxury tax with that ride with it i'm okay with that i think some people are really championship or bust in ways that is irresponsible because to win a championship you really do need like elite talent i mean look at the teams that have won titles recently and that's not anything new so i think that you kind of want to go one way or the other though i actually would not say trade lowry or trade rosen i I mean whatever you're gonna do i would say both or neither that's the way that i would go and i think they're they're both justifiable answers if i own the raptors i would say let lowry go if he's not willing to take a discount trade to rosen but i understand and i wouldn't be i would expect that they would disagree i mean they're gonna be you know they probably have enough young guys that they could be you know win like 30 games or 35 games which you know is not necessarily the greatest i mean but the and the other downside there is that they might not be bad enough to really build up their base to become a truly good team later on and and that is a real concern and you know sometimes these sometimes teams rebuild at kind of the wrong time and that is a risk for them but they you know they can approach that in a couple different ways and maybe that'd be an opportunity if Masai still wants to get his coach in there to do that. I understand for certain fan bases why there is this temptation to blow it up because for the Clippers is another one, right? Where you're just like, hey, we've just been banging our head against the wall every time with the same group. It doesn't work. Like, just give me something different, even if it's worse, like something different because they feel like, all right, if you just keep this group together, like, what's the hope? I'm invested in this team. Hey, they started off. They had this amazing offense at the start of the year and then they had some injuries, but Lowry was back. They made these trades. Hey, maybe they're like, you know, this, maybe this could be the year there's someone they could be included uh, yeah no you know so and, and you just you're like these are the same guys Lowry DeRozan they're not good enough we don't get enough shooting around him Valanciunas can't stop anybody you just you get sick of all these same guys with the same weaknesses who can't beat the same team I understand that but you know the alternative is five years six years seven years ten years before you ever get back to this point again yeah. I mean this is the best they've ever been in franchise history by a mile and or a kilometer and that's that's not going to change I, it's so hard to get back there I 
can I can appreciate, and that's why I said I I would be different as an owner than I think that their ownership's going to be. Uh, Shafiq says the Raptors. It felt like they had a chance to do damage this year, and you know I I thought that too. I wasn't really like ready to believe. I thought their defense could be good. Uh, I thought Ibaka could be good, but it's just these guys are like a lot of kind of good players, and they just well, don't quite have the star well, level. Of guys. The the intrigue was ceiling versus expected value. Like the ceiling, you go like, oh, if they can put it together, the defense, you know, like they had a good defense after the All-Star break. You're like, oh, if they can do that and then get their offense. Like that was different than last year where that series was a death march from the second it started because they just didn't have enough there. This year, you're like, oh, there's that possibility. But the challenge about a possibility and a ceiling, part of the reason why focusing on like the a realistic best case is better than a 100% outcome is that it was very unlikely to happen and Cleveland's just really, really good. Uh, Yeah, and just what's been most disappointing about the Raps, even in the playoffs last year too, although they played some good defensive teams, so their offense has got to be better than this. You know, I mean, like their offense is always significantly worse in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. And I think, you know, whether it's the structure, whether it's the characteristics of those individual players, whether it's the simplicity of the offense, whether it's the coaching, whether it's guys not making shots, whatever it is, it's gone on for so long now that it, you really have to think of that, you know, they just, you can't translate the regular season for this team the way you could for some other team. Another question that I, I think we can do quickly is would you give the Raptors a better chance had they gotten Millsap instead of Ibaka? I think I would have just because even yeah. though Ibaka can't uh, is play center differently than Millsap, Millsap is just a better guy right now. Yeah, he would help the offense a lot more. I think that's yeah. that's, that's pretty clear. Um, all right, last one here before we move on to the, to the wings, and in one of these we can actually save. Uh, with Tony Parker likely out, do you think DeJounte Murray, how will he do as the backup point guard? That's from Sitamoli24 uh, uh, on Twitter. I think they're going to give him less of that, you know, true backup point guard role, but they'll, they'll put him in a chance to succeed. Yeah. I'm more interested... He'll get a shot but I, not, I think, not a long leash. I, I'm very interested to see how he does defensively, just to see whether he can really stick on the floor. And Pop always cares about that. So we'll see. What yeah, I mean, if he gets switched on to Harden, I mean, Harden, he's so rail thin that Harden yeah. is just going to either go right through he's him bounce. or he's just going to follow him because he tries to like hand check him because Harden's going to go right through him. Um, and then the second question, which we will get to momentarily, is will Danilo Gallinari leave in free agency? We're going to talk about that and more right after this uh, as we get into this free agent wing class which is a very interesting one take a quick break here to talk to you about mother's day my mom lives back in chicago still get her advice on a lot of weighty matters though unfortunately during the nba playoffs i'm not going to be there to celebrate with her in person and that's why i'm going to use pro flowers to at least show her my appreciation this mother's day the hundred blooms for mom bouquet from pro flowers will make a fantastic impression actually they sent me a sample of it it arrived today day and one of the reasons I really like it is it comes with a free vase. You say vase or vase. I'm a vase guy personally. Makes me sound more sophisticated, I think. And instructions on how to keep them lasting for a long time. They actually have two packets of nutrients as well that you can pour into the vase once you fill it with water. And if you really want to make a statement, you can upgrade to a premium vase and include gourmet chocolates for just $10 more, $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Choose the delivery date that you want and Pro Flowers are guaranteed to arrive fresh and beautiful and stay that way for at least seven days. That's where 
those two packages of nutrients come in or you get your money back the ones that they sent me are actually sitting on our dining room table right now my girlfriend was staying with her parents last night she's gonna come back and i'm looking forward to what she's gonna say when she sees these flowers and chocolates waiting for her so whether it's your mom or significant other the 100 blooms for mom bouquet or any of pro flowers other fine products are a great way to express your appreciation the only way of course to get your best deal is by using my code capspace if you go to proflowers.com click on the microphone in the top right hand corner and that will get you that 100 blooms for mom bouquet with a free glass vase starting at $19.99 this stunning bouquet will sell out fast so order today so again, for the uninitiated, the way we usually break this down, we both have our, our spreadsheet in front of us of all the free agents. Uh, we look at the unrestricted free agents, the restricted free agents, and we separate them into tiers as we so often do. Uh, there's superstar, star, starter, rotation, and then fringe. And the one superstar available is Kevin Durant. Since you've talked about this many times, Danny, a brief explainer just on uh, what his situation is as far as re-signing the Warriors. And it does appear extremely likely that he will do that considering that they announced that he's gonna like do some team event a fantasy a fantasy basketball camp which can always change yeah i mean you know it seems very it is a fantasy after all but yeah yeah, so basically there are two real options for him he's going to decline his player option so i don't consider that real so he can get a 20 percent raise on that which puts him at about 31 million and if he does that then the warriors stay over the salary cap which means they can retain the bird rights they have on iguodala sean livingston mike mcadoo if they want to bring him back ian cork if they want to bring him back and if he so if he does that they can stay over they will then you know and actually he'll get paid a lower salary if they do that and that's why it's a sacrifice alternatively if he wants to get his maximum salary for the 17-18 season he had they have to do that using cap space because his the raise using non-bird rights is not enough that's probably going to be around 34 million something like that it'll be costing himself four million bucks next yeah it's it's in that it's in that range we won't know until we get the exact cap fortunately the math is easier now than it used to be because now it's going to be straight straight calculations under the new cba but but, you know if by some chance he were to leave we'll talk about this more in the warrior section i mean then they would have 35 million dollars to go get somebody else too if they wanted to gordon hayward they they've 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 taken a (laughs) small forward from a vanquished opponent before that would would be insane so uh let's get to hayward he has a player option uh uh, which the oh wait let me explain a little bit about what the durant the significance just for people who aren't as into the warriors part of it so if if they have to use cap space that means they have to renounce all their guys they have to renounce living basically livingston and and it would almost notably they would only then be able to use cap space to resign those guys yeah or the room mid-level oh, well, which of course yeah so those both those little pools of money are going to be about five million dollars yeah uh, so hayward he has a player option which he will almost certainly decline uh for about 16 million that is the final year of the three year or the three plus one max offer sheet that he signed with the charlotte hornets the jazz will rue the day that they did didn't agree to pay him a little bit more in as a extension and then also that they didn't offer him a bigger contract on the restricted free agent market they could have had him under contract for two more years at a great salary but instead now he signed the three plus one he's gonna he's got a chance to opt out his situation is very interesting for a number of reasons one is if he makes all nba this year and then he opts in he could then sign a designated veteran extension because by the end of that he will have 
have uh, eight years of experience. So he would only make 16 million. So I shouldn't say that he almost certainly will opt out. He then only makes 16 million next year, but then he gets to sign a five-year, $210 million deal after that. Right, because you have to reach a certain level of experience. You have to reach the eight-year mark in order to be eligible for the designated veteran. So you can do that if you're going to get there, but he can't do that as a seventh-year guy. So that's why he would have to opt in. It's a very interesting circumstance. I also don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think he's going to make All-NBA. But so the most fascinating question to me with him is not only what does he want, but how would you compare, let's just say the Celtics decided to use all of their cap space that they have to fully max him out. And basically, other than that, they run the team back of course they have that Nets pick which we don't know where it's going to be we'll find out in like two weeks would where would how would you compare that Celtics team with him to his current Jazz team or where you expect them to be next year well there's a couple aspects to it number one I mean the Celtics and Jazz won the St. Louis games Jazz actually had a better point differential they also dealt with some injuries although they always seem to deal with some injuries so you could probably assume they'll do that again next year but they won 51 games and so did the Celtics and the Celtics would be adding Gordon Hayward and, 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 also, and one of the top five four yeah. picks in the draft yeah or whoever you could uh, trade for that as well yeah. so and they'll have another pick in 2018 and uh, isaiah thomas has been unbelievable in these playoffs so far and you know maybe i mean and you have a lot less resistance in that conference than you do in the west and especially if hayward you know goes up against these warriors and they just get swept and they're completely uncompetitive maybe he thinks wow like you know what we're just like not going to be able to even come close to these guys if i stay here now of course utah can offer him more money and more years even if he doesn't get the veteran uh extension and you know he would be an icon in utah if he stays for another few years and they have some success um but yeah i don't know i i, I mean i think how good is gordon here let's ask that question like are you good with giving him a designated max or even a five-year max right now at age 27 for most teams i am you know i, I unless you are one of those squads that just isn't isn't close now and so he's not going to like really bring you to the yeah. brink and you can pull free agents with your cap space so yeah, if he's going to come close to putting you over the top you're trying to win now yeah you get a lot of value those first couple of years yeah but so like maybe it'd be interesting i've been trying to think about the abstract of if he were theoretically interested in the lakers and they had max space like i think they're a little bit too far away and they can do a lot with their cap space theoretically if they were if they ever had their had their shit together so i think that those sorts of circumstances are the next like those real major markets or teams that just have crazy high ceilings but other than that i mean there are very few teams that are ever in that circumstance and actually have space so yeah and to go over just what those contracts he could sign are if he re-signs with the jazz eight percent annual raises uh it would be a five-year 175 million dollar deal if he signs with another team five percent annual raises only four years so four years 130 uh the last year of that contract kind of the difference point where he would be making 40 million Uh, and 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 that's exactly also why it's a smaller difference because most players are gonna if if he's 27 now there he'll he'll maybe opt out of that though again those economics are going to get very different as the cap starts to flatline you know it's the 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 idea of potentially getting more as a free agent might not be as available though at that point he will have the full 10-year max and because the cba still wants to reward guys and give 35 percent to guys who are too old that's still going to be in place yeah the the, question was if the celtics get hayward and it takes a step back you know which it'll be 28 so you'd expect a little bit uh from him uh, for i don't know how he's going to repeat this year um but then they also had that pick they have the pick coming next year they could make trades i mean i don't know if they're the favorites to beat cleveland if they get hayward but they sure look a lot better and they're definitely they're sure as hell making the conference finals well and that was why i was so intrigued by the al horford thing was the idea that they got him without giving anything up right so then they have all of those pieces then to throw into something else so yeah you know maybe you're not there then but you can decide
decide what you want to do with Isaiah. You can, and with their Nets picks, they can go in a couple different directions, even at the same time if they want to, and let those guys wear out. They are going to have some complicated decisions with guys like Marcus Smart, but those are more on the fringes compared to getting your stars and adding more stars. Yeah, and this is the last year that they're really can plausibly have cap space, so you might as well spend it on Hayward if he's you just you spend it on whoever the best guy who's available is. Uh, yeah, if you can do it, I mean that team would be. Yeah, as long as their ownership's willing to pay the tax, and they damn well better be. Yeah, and that team is uh gonna would be in big trouble as far as uh big men you know they'd need to get some some cheap big guys around mm. as well maybe they could get, figure out a sign and trade for hayward they could keep him over the cap that that might help them a little bit so we're, let's move into the starter tier and i think the the basic question is do you i think let's start with the restrictive free agents just because i think those are relatively quick conversations which is is there a way that either contavious caldwell pope or Otto porter will end up on a different team i don't think so uh and caldwell pope i they're both 24 this summer caldwell pope i feel better about paying him i think he is elite defensively he actually can get more shots off than porter as well he's, he's good at finding a shot he shot better on threes this year uh, i mean he's really the one piston who didn't disappoint this year and he's a great one two defender the type of guy that every team needs who can get over a screen whether it's guarding a shooting guard or a point guard uh and he's just got more upside than porter to me as well porter is a very efficient play finisher not efficient creating his own shot can't get enough shots and then defensively i think of him as like pretty darn average but you know the wizards have no way to replace him and there's tons of teams that could use a young guy there just aren't wings who are even average on defense and offense that are available so and uh, you know a max for kcp is probably an overpay a max for porter is definitely an overpay but there's going to be enough money out there and especially for if you're a team like say you know a philly or something for kcp or porter you want to spend money on someone like that you don't want to spend money on uh, someone who is a, an unrestricted free agent number one because they probably aren't going to want to go there because they suck and, and number two because you want someone who can grow with your team right and kcp in particular you know they have some big ball handlers in dario and ben simmons he could fit in well there and go to a switch happy system they could do some really cool stuff and the uh, other reason are, why are they both guaranteed to get the max well they could choose to take less yeah you know or, like or remember could, remember yeah. chris middleton like we thought chris middleton was basically a lock to get the max and he chose to take a little bit less he was happy where he was the other reason why these guys are locks to stay with their current teams is because their current teams don't have ways to get better partially yeah, with an eye on, on on retaining those guys and it's both because they they had both drummond and beal had like the small cap hold and then got max last summer so they're capped out for their foreseeable future they gotta hold on to these guys yeah so there's screwed. i mean unless they really worked like a sign and trade or something like that but even then they're not the assets they're going to get back i mean because you have to basically get it all in the trade because you're not going to trade exceptions aren't that valuable so Man, it's how not pissed is John Wall going to be that he's like the third highest player on his own team? Well, especially and like not even close. Especially considering they could have given him a renegotiation extension last year and didn't. Yeah, for whatever uh, reason that could have been his. We don't know who that was. So I think Andre Guadala. These are really some interesting names to me. I only had four guys in the starter category uh Danilo Gallinari who has a player option which he is very likely to decline he made it through the season healthy uh JJ Redick who did not have a good playoffs but still uh, at age 33 a, a great sniper uh and Andre Guadalla who will also be age 33 still uh, looking very spry so far this season it might win six man he was great in the last month and a half two months of the season for the Warriors uh I think Redick and Iguodala fall into similar categories for me I think Iguodala is the better player but you know Redick is really good as as well as guys who are 33 they could re-sign with their teams but those teams have some financial constraints perhaps with the, with the tax uh those teams may are may not want to spend
end in terms of like giving them a long-term deal here's not dollars but then there are so many teams like a minnesota for example that you i could just see being like hey we got nothing else to spend our space on we got to extend andrew wiggins soon we're going to run out of space like let's get we desperately need some shooting we need a veteran like let's just break the bank for andre guadala what else we got to spend our money on especially since they're wings and the wing basically that's the only way to get him if you're not going to draft right. somebody so like minnesota i i was i was writing about their offseason uh yesterday and it was kind of the idea of you know maybe they should use both of their best bullets that and their draft pick which right now it's the six best lottery odds both of those on wings and you know in some form and you know i totally agree they got enough bigs already they got too many yeah and they're spending too much on them so you have or, that. or a point guard obviously too sure if they can because, if, you know chris I mean, dunn is looking pretty sunk costly right avail- availability is is always the centerpiece of that but that's why th- those two guys could be available i think iguodala is much more likely to resign with his team because he seems really happy there he actually has made some pretty interesting overt mentions of returning and basically yeah. the expectations reddick and he really likes it here and they're, yeah. they're a great team and and reddick like he hasn't gotten paid the way that iguodala has you, you know over his career and the clippers don't have as rosy a future as the warriors do the, the clippers they're you know we've yeah. seen what they are and and yeah andre he got a max contract and then he got another 48 million reddick the most he's ever made is seven million a year like he would like to get paid there was an article from woge mentioning talking about the clippers mentioning that you know 18 to 20 million a year would be his price tag and that's he's well worth that for like a two-year deal maybe you got to pay him for a third but with the expectation already he's probably going to become a bench player as soon as the second year of that and you're you're overpaying but uh i mean just having someone who can shoot like him is just not around but he's going to continue to decline defensively he's injury prone um well and he's a he's a great example of present value you know you need some he needs to go to a team where he's going to be relevant right away and it was surprising to a point that the way indiana kind of structured everything spending some money on lance for next year it doesn't i don't from what i can tell it doesn't look like they're going to have enough money to to sign him but again they could be going a very different way with their summer we will have to know at a later point and we should talk about gallo though gallo fascinating skill set comfortable with the ball in his hands though you don't want him running an offense amazing at getting to the free throw line still you know he doesn't really defend that much at this point in his career but theoretically he can guard the worst of the other team's forwards which is actually kind of nice i've talked about this idea before of reciprocal versatility or or reciprocal versatility which is basically that if you have another guy who's good at defending you can put that guy on the better one and then you can put gallo on the worst one he's pretty wooden at this point he's not an acceptable help defender uh if he gets caught in a switch he's not really good i thought that his uh ability to work off the dribble has declined this year i I felt that after last summer there's now less money around the league than we expected i thought after last summer he's going to get a max guaranteed for sure i don't feel that way anymore i don't feel close to it i mean but certainly well you know like four years 20 million a year is that kind of where you think the his range is going to be i think that somebody could pay him that though i wouldn't i i mean he you have to be at a very specific point with him and and the other huge thing that changed was i think denver started aiming their sights higher i mean they nearly made the playoffs they have a future just star in Jokic, really talented player they have a lot of these interesting young guys and so maybe you know if they can get Millsap, if they if their choice is gallo or Millsap, that's the easy that's 
it's one of the easiest choices in free agency. And yeah. the money between those two guys might not be that different because when you, this is the idea of artificially limiting guys' salaries is that those choices become very different when you get up there. And Gallo can make teams better. I fake traded him to the Raptors a couple of years, or last last summer and Raptors fans got all pissy about it. But I think he would he would have made them better than, like I think there are certain elements of it that he would really help them with. They'd struggle defensively, but you know, you get into those sorts of things. So I, the weird thing for me with Gallo is I still like him. I don't love him like I used to, but I don't know where, like, I can't. He also I can't, misses like 20 games a year. Yeah, of course. At, at a minimum. But like, I don't, there isn't a place where I'm sitting there going, oh, he's a great fit for X team. Like they're, like I used to be able to find spots for him, fake traded him in the, uh, in the mock deadline last year. And I don't have yeah, that in true. my mind. Who, who is his market? Maybe like a Houston or an Indiana uh, would be, but it's a, or God forbid the, the Lakers or, or Miami, if they strike out Minnesota, he might be an okay fit in. Um, although they doesn't solve their defensive problems at all, but at least to get someone who can shoot the ball as a combo forward a little bit better than Bielitsa and who knows what his status is coming off of that, that foot injury, that could be an option. Philly it could maybe be an option. I was uh, thinking, I was Sacramento. thinking Orlando because um, play him with Aaron Gordon. If they yeah, want, I, mean, if, I, don't, I don't know if Orlando quite has uh, uh, enough space to, for what he might be looking for. I think, I think part of as a fit, what's interesting about him there is that they see, they still see Aaron Gordon defensively as a three. And so if they want to do it that way, that's actually how you make Aaron Gordon at the four work. If you want to bounce that, like there aren't yeah, that many. He guys. would be an, he would be a nice fit there. I agree with you. But Maybe that's not how I would spend yeah. my money if I were them, especially because they're not close to Yeah, we'll see who ends up being uh, the new president there as well. Um, that's, that's enough on Gallo. We'll talk more about like whether the Nuggets want to make, what kind of offer they want to make to him. Dwayne Wade is another guy, player option. The noise around him seems to be, you know, he's due 23 million next year that, hey, he's not going to get there anywhere else. Like like you said with Gallo, I mean, there are a lot fewer fits even for Wade and the bloom is off his rose now too because he had that awesome playoffs last year. People kind of forgot that he wasn't efficient. And then this year, he just played the exact same way in the regular season. And then, you know, he sucked in the playoffs. I think if he declines it, it's to go something, to do something very different. It's to play, maybe take a discount for a year or two to play somewhere special, something like that. And I don't know where that would be, but I think that's going to be the decision-making process for Wade if he opts out because the money is just not there. Uh, yeah, so uh, you have to imagine he'll opt in and that'll change things a lot for the Bulls as well. Um, let's see, who else do we have here? I mean, I, I'm operating on the assumption that he's going to opt in. Same. Um, then you go down into some interesting rotation pieces. Rudy Gay, the torn Achilles, also has a player option. Seems like he just desperately wants to get out of Sacramento anyway. And I could see him. He's due, let's see, how much is he due next year? He is due like, you know, something like 15 million or something. I thought it was f- like 14.3. That's what's in my um, Okay. Yeah. If you've got it. Right, but just right in my right head, there. that's what I remember. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. 14.3. Right. So he, uh, and if he opts out of a $20 million cap hold, Vlade Divac has said, you know, he wants him to come back. But I think certainly with only 14 million guaranteed, he can get more than that, maybe over more years. But something like a three year, $30 million deal, I could see Rudy Gay getting that, even though he's going to be age 30, you know, coming off the torn Achilles. I don't know if that's going to be a good deal, but I could still see him getting that again with the with the market for wings. And there'll be teams out there that I think would, would be pretty interested in him. And then you've got some interesting ones too. Uh, Dion Waiters, uh, he will almost certainly decline his player option. We'll see whether people are really interested. You know, the situation in Miami, can they do better with their cap space? They do not have any kind of significant bird rights on him. He would be looking for a raise there. Uh, Miami's not going to want to run it back though. They, this is the summer that they have been going for. This is the summer why they didn't pay Dwayne Wade the contract he wanted to begin with so they could rebuild. So I don't know if Dion Waiters and James Johnson 
Johnson, another guy who, who falls into this category, are really uh, who they're looking for. When you get into this group, a lot of these players are going to have to make a hard choice. And that's because do they want to choose like the right financial situation, especially somebody like Waiters, who's never really gotten paid. P.J. Tucker, similar situation. You know, maybe with bird rights, he gets into a situation where Toronto really likes him. But they need to choose between that and, you know, the right system. And I, I, with Waiters, I mean, if he wants to cash out, this is the time to do it. He had a good year. I mean, he missed the end of it with his injury. But you go through that circumstance. But I, I think that same general story, as you said, James Johnson is one of those. Nick Young is one of those. You know, like, basically, if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, this is your last real shot to be a contributor yeah. on a really Luke good team. Luke Mute uh, comes into that discussion as well. He's 30, uh, making only $2 million. He's probably deserves a little bit of a bump from there. But the Clippers, you know, their ability to pay him, uh, probably not really going to happen. Um, let's talk about some of the restricted guys, though. <laughs> They're really interesting. Andre Robertson at age 25 is the, the big one there. We've talked a lot about what his value is on the Twitter NBA show. In particular, people are really interested in that. Um, the other one who I think is a really interesting guy is Joe Ingles at, at 29. I would just wish for his sake he were like, you know, two years younger than he is being a restricted free agent at 29. Like that really kind of sucks for him. That I think that rule should be changed if you're old enough. Um, but Ingles, I, I don't think you want him as a starter, but there are teams where he probably would start on. He's just, you know, makes 40% of his threes and, and is a steady defender, if not an elite defender. I mean, there's any team could use him for sure. So, you know, I mean, I think his market value to me is, you know, two years, 20 million, three years, 30 million, something like that. I mean, he's better than like Jared Dudley last year, even though, as we know, it's not apples to apples from last year. There sure. was more money last year. It's it's also a challenge with restricted free agents because you have a very different conversation with restricted free agents. It's all about what the market is because you really, yeah, you're going to have the Eric Gordons that really want to go to their other team, you know, like when Gordon really wanted to go to Phoenix and then stamped his feet when New Orleans matched. But Brian Large, you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to maximize your money. And then if you see if your other team matches, hopefully it's on a team that you love as well. But if it's not, then it's not. But these guys, especially when we're talking about guys that are fringe starters or maybe maybe really good backups, figuring out their market is brutally hard. Yeah, none of these guys are, are clear starters. The other guys in this category, I mean, I, I kind of did them in order. Tony Snell, who started all year for Milwaukee, you know, outstripped expectations, certainly. But, you know, it's probably a lower end starting shooting guard at best. Uh, Tim Hardaway falling into the, a similar category. Then Shabazz Muhammad uh, off the bench. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, who, you know, again, another guy, 28 years old. Uh, Muhammad, 24. Hardaway, 25. John Simmons, who, uh, you know, is 27 and played well tonight, obviously. Ben McLemore, another guy that, uh, who knows whether he, uh, I mean, I imagine they'll make a qualifying offer to him, but, you know, could probably be gotten with the right offer. But the Kings have a ton of space. So all these guys are really interesting guys uh to me and have this malleable three and d type of clay to a lot of them where you can talk yourself into this being the right guy in the future uh what about snell i mean what do you think is like a reasonable contract for him like if you're if you're his agent and milwaukee offers you a contract what's it take for you to have to bite on it before you know in that period before free agency really gets going where you're like all right i'll take this instead of testing my luck in the market i think something starting at around nine for me i think i'd be i'd be okay with that but i could see his agent being like i want 11 or 12 you know this guy started on a good team but the and it's it's weird because they are good and they are wings which are incredibly valuable but the restricted market you know it's it's still going to be pretty tame even they they shorten the match time to two days you know like still it's still i think going to be yeah it's still an eight day waiting period essentially which is which is silly and so i mean so you have these guys that basically are going to move a little bit to the back of the line just because that's a really poor use of resources early on you know like yeah 
Shabazz Muhammad is is better than a lot of these other wings, but it's a bird in the hand. You know, you're not you're not committing to that. And a lot of these guys, um, Simmons, you could argue this, Boyan now, Snell maybe, depending on how they do with cap space, they're in the circumstance where they're going to reasonably expect their current team to match. And that's the other way that restricteds get the market really cooled on them is when the team goes, well, what's the point? You know, like, what's the point of doing this? Maybe you're giving a favor to their agent, but like with Joe Ingles, like, what are the chances that the Jazz don't match on him? And how egregious would you have to over, egregiously would you have to overpay him for them not to match? Yeah. And, and there's also, of course, the idea that you don't want to like get into a miserable fight or the chance that the guy could take the qualifying offer as well. And then there's also the complicating factor of how much money people got paid last year, right? If you're Tony Snell, Etwan Moore got four for 34 last year. You're like, hey, I'm not taking a dime less than that. I played with that dude. You know, he didn't start all year. I was on a good team. I was in the playoffs. I shot really well on threes. I'm a quality defender. Like I'm exactly what the, the league needs at this point, other than, you know, being able to uh, have the ball go out of my hand, hit the ground and then return to my hand he's not very good at that aspect of basketball but uh i think he uh you know to make me like not want to test it yeah it would be something along the lines of like you know and like del vadova he plays more than del vadova on his own team he's making four for 38 Mm -hmm. but it's going to take a shock here for some of these teams too they're probably still overvaluing players based on last year and some of these agents and players as well to just compare to last year like those salad days even with the cap going up slightly are gone because there's what what did that study you you looked at like basically half as much money around the league as there was last year yeah like I, ha- I haven't published it yet but i think it's even less than half yeah um it's i i'll, I'll have that out for the sporting news probably in about a week I, I need to redo it now that i have my salary sheet over but i, I also want to talk a little bit about some of the other guys in this rotation group that we didn't discuss for free agents that are not as maybe as intriguing as somebody like Dion waiters who we think could contribute for a longer time but like tyreek evans is going to have fascinating free agency what corver what tabo what those guys want you know like a lot of those guys you know this is their first time hitting unrestricted free agency during this crazy period so what are they going to want are they are they you know corvers is he 36 yeah he's 36 yeah. now so like are those guys going to want to stay where they are maybe they're yeah. happy they're Cavs will have people. full bird rights on them but you that's know, why you and, trade for them and, and yeah i mean and some of these guys too who are way better than some of the guys who got paid last year but you know either a little bit older now they wouldn't want to give them a long-term deal cephalosha was another guy that you mentioned um i think you know james johnson who's older than you think he's 30 uh pj tucker at 32 is a really interesting one to me as well who i, I think would is really useful to a contender but now we're back in in again more where contenders don't have money and the teams that have money are bad teams you know yeah. but tucker i mean he's made 17 million bucks in his career 20 million bucks in his career so i mean there's a lot of these guys who are kind of still looking to cash out a little bit james johnson i think his four million this year was the most he's ever made uh well, so, and- so there's a lot of these guys uh who tony allen is he said he said actually today that he wasn't trying to break the bank in memphis so you have to imagine he'll he'll return there but you never know another guy that you and i both like and is going to be put in a challenging spot is cj miles cj miles can be you know a nice little three and d guy on the right team he's got a a player option but he'll probably decline that even just for the idea of getting more years and maybe ending up in a place where we'll actually play i don't know about the d part he sure looked awful on defense in that series against the Cavs. but but yeah and 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 also this group uh just because i don't think we're going to spend as much time on the fringe guys it has some players that i like that are just a little bit lower profile you and i have both fawned over omri caspi for years and well yeah i had him in in the rotation yeah i know yeah he's in he's in this group but that's what i'm saying like there are guys out here that that teams might get value on 
just because yeah. they might do that. Justin Holiday's another one. I don't love him, but maybe it's going to yeah, work. He's out. already twenty eight too. I mean, a lot of these, some of these guys are older than, than you think they are. That's true. Um, you know, Ian Clark falls into that category as well. He, he's uh, he's unrestricted. Well, so all right, let me. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few either or questions here. All right, so the res- go back to the restricted guys: Tim Hardaway, Shabazz Muhammad, Ben McLemore. Who do you like the most out of those guys? If we're not counting contracts, I think Hardaway. But you think Hardaway will get paid more than any of those guys? Yeah, I think I actually think Macklemore will be the best value of those yeah. three. Yeah, and actually, I mean, we're running long here, so we'll talk ne- tomorrow about like the Wes Wilcox uh, and all that stuff in Atlanta that could really affect some of these decisions. Also, um, all right, so among these fringe guys here, Rodney Stuckey, Gerald Green, Anthony Morrow, Brandon Rush, those guys are all 31 years old. I have them as just kind of you know end of rotation guys at best. Who do you like the most out of those four guys? Marcus Thompson will love this, but I think. I think I like Stucky. You know, he can have the ball in his hands a little bit. He's not perfect, but I mean, Morrow's been out of the rotation with numerous teams now. Rush is more of a solid vet than a, a stable rotation player. And Green, you know, I think it's Stucky versus Green, and I, I, I just I, I like Stucky a little bit better. I like Rush the best just because he's continued to shoot pretty well on threes, and he doesn't suck on defense. Like that's that's a more useful player than you know Rodney Stucky who can't shoot and has to have the ball in his hands, and Green and Morrow who are really spacey defenders. Luke Babbitt probably actually. Yeah, deserves to be out of the fringe range he was pretty good this year for Miami he's matured into a nice shooter he's probably more of really a four almost at this point a combo forward type of guy um and that's really about it James Young is another guy maybe who'll be unrestricted because he had his rookie option decline that's someone that you might want to just take a flyer on uh, you know similar to Tyler Ennis except you know Tyler Ennis had some periods of playing well I still think James Young can shoot but just you know he's got to mature a little bit and we'll see whether you know not being brought back by the Celtics has uh, something to do with that um all right are we about done here I, I think that's about all i have unless there's anything else that really strikes you about one one small thing remember when kj mcdaniels was such a big deal <laughs> that's right yeah is he is he on this list he may he might be he has a team option yeah so he has this interesting circumstance where he has a team option and if they decline the team option he's a restricted free agent yeah so they could the they can kind of the nets can play it kind of either way um, what would you do if you were them he had a few moments down the end of the year not much i think i don't i don't think there's much of a market for him i'd probably just decline it with the idea of maybe getting him on the qualifying offer yeah but that is kind of overly ambitious for a team that's not going to have much to do with their cap space so you know maybe that's being too cute all right uh, we are done here thanks so much for joining us and we'll be back on tomorrow with dunked on and then friday with uh, the twitter nba show warriors home game tomorrow so we will not be doing dunked on or, or i'm sorry we will not be doing twitter nba show tomorrow please don't forget about uh the best way to support the twitter nba show and, and dunked on uh patreon patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. We're basically hoping that donations will be enough to support our efforts with the Twitter NBA show and keep us going. And uh, other than that, I I think we're good. So we'll talk to you guys uh, tomorrow night uh, on Dunked On or Friday on the Twitter NBA show. Till then.